It's got some stuff in there for the kids to do if you want to send your kids back there to grab that. Several things I need to just let you know about. First of all, standing in the back modeling his untucked purple shirt is Jared Law right there. So Jared is our new pastor, one of our new pastors here on staff. Um, we're going to have a time in a couple of weeks where we get to welcome the whole family. They've purchased a home. Uh, we're just transitioning them from uh, Oklahoma and, and uh, North Texas down here, Southeast Texas. So in the next couple of weeks, you're going to get to know him and them a little bit better um, and meet. They have four crumb crunchers, right? Four of them, four little kiddos. And so they'll all be here with us um, in the next couple of weeks. But I just wanted to kind of point him out. You're going to hear from him a little bit later. Um, I want to tell you also that uh, last week I told you that we had the backpack ministry. We're, we're giving backpacks to kids in Jenny Lane and uh, um, at over at Life's Purpose, which is Carter's Kids. And uh, you guys gave, and it's awesome. We've got only about $200 left. $15 does a backpack. Um, so just thank you for that. Uh, sitting in our offices is some brand new lawn equipment, uh, trimmer, edger, lawnmower. We're going to gift those to Life's Purpose Carter's Kids. They've changed their name to Life's Purpose. We're going to give those to life's purpose, and they're going to start working with the boys to basically start a lawn care business to teach them some uh, uh, business skills. Yeah, amen. <laughs> teach them some business skills and responsibilities, and they can make a little bit of extra cash along the way. Um, so we're going to gift that to them, and they're going to get started on that here pretty soon. Uh, we just, I want you to know these things, man. As you give and you participate in ministry, I want to let you know what's happening. We just assisted two families um, who had significant crises in their lives and it wasn't like a bad day or a bad week just significant life-altering things happen and uh, we were able to kind of come along them and assist them financially with some things um, next Sunday it's either going to be next Sunday or August the 4th we're going to have two young ladies with us and I'll tell you their story now because we don't want to call them out or embarrass them when they come to be with us but uh, they're from they're homeless they uh, graduated from um, high schools here in LCISD Lamar Consolidated and uh, they're homeless. They have horrible stories, both of them. Um, they grad When I say homeless, I mean they're living in cars. I mean, like, I mean homeless, right? Um, couch surfing when they can. Um, graduated high school and have both been accepted to college. Um, we're going to help them get into their dorms, um, which I love this idea. They, have, they don't have a home, so if we can get them in their dorms quickly... They'll have food and board and, you know, and a place to live and all that. So um, they've generally not owned anything up to this point. And uh, so we're going to have them here in a couple of weeks. And we're going to give them both $500 gift certificates to go get their dorms ready and buy what they need to to get in college. And you guys made that happen. So I wanted to tell you that, man. God's just using you guys and us in so many ways. Um, they'll be with us in a couple of weeks. And I wanted to just highlight them to you before they come. We're going to celebrate them when they come. It's going to be really cool. Um, so that's some stuff that's happening around here because you guys have been faithful. So I wanted to point that out, okay? We're going to be in Proverbs. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, Psalms is right in the middle. Immediately after it to the right, uh, you'll hit Proverbs. It's the next book of wisdom that we have there. Uh, just to review, maybe tell you uh, last week, the, the thing that we talked about in, in Proverbs chapter 9 um, was this idea that Christ um, has set a table. Um, that's the imagery that we get in, in um Proverbs 9, that Christ has set a table, a big feast, and he is inviting us to, to have dinner with him, to dine with him, to fellowship with him, to come into a relationship with him. Um, and then you have in the New Testament all these references to a, a table that God sets or to some kind of a meal with God. Jesus talks about it in several parables. In Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, there's a wedding dinner um, that we get to have with God um, that this seems to kind of point toward um, communion uh, another famous passage in Revelation that if 
Uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man answers the door, I will come to him and dine with him. I'll have fellowship with him. So you have all this New Testament reference where Christ is, is kind of giving us this invitation to come in and have a meal with him, to celebrate with him, life with him, to have life through him, um, to fellowship with him. And we get that last week. Um, and then he's inviting us over and over and over again. Live life with me. Fellowship with me. Do life my way. I have life for you. If you do life my way, I will give you life. And that's the invitation we get over and over and over again. And we saw that last week. So we'll kind of re remind you about that a little bit as we go through. At this table that he has set, what's at this table? Meat and bread. Meat and wine, the choicest of wines, the best things that you can have, the finest of foods, the freshest parts of creation. That's what this is at this table. So if you can just take all that imagery and go, what does God have for me? If I were to have dinner with God, if I were to go to Jesus's table and accept his invitation, what would he have for me? The very best things in life, the absolute best things in life. Now, I'm not just, I didn't just make this blanket promise to you that if you follow God, everything's going to be awesome. I'm telling you that in God is the best parts of life, and he will give you the very best things possible even when life is at its worst. He will. That is the promise that we get from God. There is no greater way to live life than with Jesus Christ. And that's the invitation that he is giving us over and over again. So that's what's at this table. Now, I think there's several courses. Maybe we get to eat all the time and not get fat, which would be awesome, right? I don't know. There's several courses at this table. Some of the other things that Scripture says um, are at this table. There's a bitter scroll at this table. A scroll of, of God's writings that when you ingest it, it is bitter to you. But also, that same scroll is sweet as honeycomb. It's the same scroll, and we're supposed to eat it. And when we eat it, we go, oh, that's bitter. Then it hits our stomachs like, oh, my gosh, that's the most incredible thing ever, right? Sweet and bitter. In the New Testament, we get this passage that talks about, Paul says, man, I would like to give you meat, but you're young, so I can only give you milk. So at this table, there's milk and there's meat. There's stuff for the youngest of us. There's stuff for the most mature of us, those who have known Christ a little bit longer. There's things for us there. Second Peter says this. He's talking about Paul. I'm glad Peter said this because I think we would agree. He says, Paul writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking about these matters. His letters contain some scriptures and things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their destruction. So even Peter looks at, at the, the meal that's set in front of him in scripture and says, man, when Paul writes things, it's tough to digest it. It's really hard to intake the stuff that Paul writes. There are difficult things there, right? In John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to the disciples. This is the very end. So it's John chapter 6, verse 60. There's 60 verses in here. So go back and read the, what's came, what comes before that. And when he gets done, here at the end, he finishes it, and the disciples are like, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? So it's the same idea that at this table, there are incredible things for us to eat on, the best parts of life for, for, uh, for those who follow Jesus. But there's also difficult things. There's also hard things that he says to us, difficult things for us to digest and put into our lives and incorporate into who we are. So we get at this table, and there's all this amazing stuff I don't know who, I'm praying that whoever owns Lupe Tortilla is a Christian, and that they get to go to heaven, and the uh, Bluebell ice cream guy, I hope he's a Christian too, right, and they get to go to heaven, and that's part of dinner, okay, 
So when we get the best parts of dinner and all this amazing things and let's eat and we're digging in, but we also find out there's kale <laughs> and rhubarb. I don't even know what rhubarb is, but I think it's going to be on the table. There's just this weird, and it's this stuff like, I don't want to eat that. And God's like, eat it. It's the very best thing for you. I know you don't want to hear it. I know you don't want to digest it. It is the very best thing for you. So we're going to see some of that today. Some of us, this is going to hit you in the solar plexus, man, what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be that gut punch that God has for us every now and then. Today at the table, the first course is some words about the words that we use. The first thing that, that, that we have to deal with this morning is that Jesus has a, a, a dish for us, and it has specifically to do with what words we use. And he wants us to digest, ingest what he says about words and speaking and have it become a part of who we are and change us. And honestly, it really hurts. It's a difficult thing, I think, for a lot of us to do. So Proverbs has a lot to say about our words. Look at Proverbs. So many things in Proverbs are warnings. Matter of fact, if you read Proverbs all the way through, you see that over and over again, where the author, or it'll say something like, my son, listen to me, and I have these warnings for you. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. If you do this, this is what's gonna happen. Very practical, but it's full of a lot of warnings. That made me think about, I've seen some ridiculous warning labels. Have you ever looked at, you ever buy stuff and you're like, why is that on there? Now this is one that probably should, we should take it off in Houston. It says on inflatable mattresses, don't use it as a life-saving device. <laughs> we should probably take that off because we're totally using it, right? <laughs> in the right circumstance. We saw that a couple weeks ago. So there are some warning labels that I want to throw up. Nitol. Anybody ever take Nitol? On the box it says, this may cause drowsiness. <laughs> That's kind of the point of Nitol, right? You feel bad, you want to sleep through the night, and the point is that you would go to sleep, right? But there's a warning label that says may cause drowsiness. There's a Superman costume, and this is for real. I think you can buy it on Oriental Trading. And the warning label says this, this costume does not imbue, basically give you the, the, the ability to fly. It doesn't have any superpowers built into it, which is awesome. Anybody ever have a razor stick? You know, the scooter or your kids? Oh, put your hands up. I know, razors, okay. On the handlebar of a razor, it says, this moves when used. <laughs> it's got wheels on it, but they wanna, they wanna warn you that this moves when used. And it actually think it says, use common sense when you use this or something like that. There's a hair dryer. Do not use while sleeping. I don't know who's doing that. But they needed to put a warning label on it. Chainsaws. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. <laughs> I don't know who needs that. Washers and dryers. A washing machine. Do not put any person in this washer. Oh, some of us are like, oh, I did that. No, just kidding. Oh, a Dremel tool. It's a drill. You guys know Dremels? What does it say over here? This product is not intended for use as a dental drill. <laughs> or in any medical applications. <laughs> That's what it says. I don't know who needs to see it. This is my favorite one, actually, the letter opener from Staples. It's a little piece of plastic with a tiny blade. Blades are extremely sharp. Safety goggles recommended. <laughs> now, generally speaking, companies don't put warning labels on things unless somebody tried it. That's how they react. They're reactive warning labels. They're not proactive warning labels. If you go to Europe or outside of America, they don't put warning labels on anything. They just assume you're going to do silly things with them, and they're like, that's not my responsibility. In America, we've got to protect everybody, right? So with a, just remember, with a letter opener, 
put on some goggles the next time, just in case. You know, I don't know exactly how that works. But there's warning labels on things in our lives. We're used to them. They're kind of part of our culture. Proverbs is very much like that for us when it comes to our words, okay? Proverbs has a lot of warning labels about our words. Proverbs chapter 10, I'm just gonna, we're gonna hit the verses that talk about our our words today. Look at verse six. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Look at verse eight. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Verse 10. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. Verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 13, on the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the lack of him who lacks understanding. And verse 14, wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Verse 18, he who conceals hatred has lying lips, And he who spreads slander is a fool, verse 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Now that all sounds sad, but look at that verse 31, 32. Little hope for us. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is what is perverted. So there's just, that's one proverb, okay, that we see here. There are over 150 verses in Proverbs that talk about our tongues or our mouths. 150, that's one out of every six verses. One out of every six verses in the book of Proverbs is about my mouth and about my words and about my tongue and what comes out of them, how I speak. Words have value. They either have good value or they have bad value. Words reveal our character, Words reveal our heart. They reveal our treasures and our goals and our ambitions, our motives. Words are powerful. They can destroy the speaker. We have seen this happen recently where words spoken now or in the past have come back to haunt us, to haunt people and destroy the speaker. They can bring peace. Words can bring peace to difficult situations. They can lead others into good or evil. Words can take other people into good things or bad things. They can be painful, yet loving. Words can destroy the receiver, the person who hears it. Words are powerful. They are a powerful tool. Words are to be carefully controlled. I think so much of that control happens in meditation, transformation of the heart and mind with Jesus, that your words will become governed by Scripture, and the only way for that to happen is for you to spend time in Scripture So our words have to be carefully controlled, put underneath the submission to God and Scripture and wisdom and truth. Words have to be used at the right time and in the right context. Some of us have heard this quote before, and we've attributed it to Abraham Lincoln, we've attributed it to Mark Twain. It looks like it was actually in about 1910, a man named Maurice Switzer, who wrote a book for children called Mrs. Goose, this is her book. He says, It is better to remain silent at the risk of being thought a fool than to talk and remove all doubt of it. It's better to be silent and have people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah, he's a fool. Our words are powerful, and we're going to get into this. So we're going to run through these verses that talk about our words and then kind of wrap up uh, maybe with a little story at the end. Father, I just pray that you would be with us. You've set this table for us even this morning. Uh, Father, you've made it possible for us to come in and to feast 
um, on truth and on your word and I think ultimately on the person of Jesus and Father I pray that you would give us wisdom today that we would eat everything you have to tell us about our words even if it's uncomfortable and we don't like it it's our pride Father I pray that we would take in everything you have to give us today Father change us this morning in your name we pray Proverbs 10 verse 11 we already read it I'll read it again the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence so what are your words giving to other people what are your words giving to other people what are the value of your words are you known for building other people up through your words do your words bring healing for hurting people and peace for troubled people do your words bring light in difficult situations where, man, life is full of gray areas. It's full of places where we don't know exactly how to act or exactly which way to go or exactly how to apply that great big biblical truth that we love and we know, but we don't know exactly how to live it out. Do your words bring light for people on situations that are those difficult shades of gray that we face every day? Are your words loaded with the gospel and with grace? Man, I want to be that person I want to be a wise person. I do. Uh, this, this is a big motivator for me. Um, I, I want to be known as someone who gives peace, and I want to be known as someone who gives insight, and I want to be known as somebody who gives the gospel and gospel grace to people when it's time. I, when I thought about this, man, I thought about the Lord of the Rings. Everything goes to Lord of the Rings for me, okay? Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene in there when Frodo, it's at the beginning of the first movie, Fellowship, and everything started to fall apart. And they're in the, 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 um, the dwarf's uh, tunnels trying to find their way through, and everything's going awful. And they're having this moment of reflection, and, and Frodo says this. He says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish that none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf, the wise old wizard, who in the books would have been tens of millennia years old, just ancient, says this. He says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time we've been given. And I'm like, wow, I want to be that guy who just spouts out wisdom like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that when life is falling apart and people are struggling in some area and they ask me or they make a comment, I just want to be that guy who's like, oh, here's some wisdom, man. Let me bless you with this right now. Let me just grace you with this right now. What are your words giving to other people? Look at verse 13. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the, la the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. We have to be discerning when we speak. We have to use discernment when we use our mouths. This word for discernment is a Hebrew word. It's a little tiny Hebrew word. It's called bin, B-I-N. And basically, that's a description. It's an it's a adjective in our language. And it describes someone who knows scripture well enough that he can tell the difference between what's from God and what's not from God. This person can discern. He can look at the situation. He can look at other people's words and what's happening in life. And he can say, man, I think this is from the Lord. This honors God. This is not from God. And that kind of, we want that kind of discernment to govern our lips, to govern our mouths and what comes out of us. That discernment, man, it makes our hearts quiet. So many times, don't we speak out of a storm? It's almost like the storm is inside of you and words are coming out of that storm. And discernment just calms us down a little bit. It just quiets us just a little bit. It keeps us from saying things that are unnecessarily hurtful. Sometimes truth is hard. 
But my gosh, that doesn't mean you have to be harsh, right? And discernment lets us kind of discern and choose between, this is going to be hard to say, I don't have to be harsh when I say it. How many fights could we avoid? How many disagreements could we cut short if we all just use a little bit of discernment? How often when we speak, all we're doing is showing off our knowledge and pride rather than, rather than using our knowledge with some love. How many times when we speak, we haven't used discernment, we just want to be known as somebody who knows a lot or who's right. And in pride, we're speaking. If we just use a little discernment, we could use some love and bring healing and help and peace and gospel. Some of us need to write this down. I need to write this down. And I know other people who need to write this down. Not everything that runs through your mind needs to get out of your mouth. That is not keeping it real. That's being a fool. That's not being truthful. That's being foolish. Not every thought that you have deserves to come out of your mouth. Use less words. Speak less and make sure that when you speak, it is helpful, and it's wise, and it's life-giving. Let's not waste any more trying, uh, time trying to undo things that we have said when it would have been better if we just remained silent. That's what verses 13 and 14 encourage us with. Look at verse 18. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Sometimes we think that people who have hatred in their hearts are going to act out in necessarily ugly ways and it's going to be obvious and you can look at them and you can see clearly, oh, they're full of hatred, etc. This verse is interesting. It basically tells us that the person who has hatred in their hearts can hate with subtlety. <laughs> it doesn't have to be overt. It doesn't have to be ugly. The, the hater can hate with subtlety. He uses flattery and sweet words. Then he turns around and he gossips about you and he slanders your character and he questions your motives and he talks about you behind your back. So this is kind of a warning, not necessarily to the hater who's got this going on in their hearts, but to those of us who are around them that we wouldn't get sucked into what they're saying, whether it's flattery or hateful words. So now listen, here's what that means. That means some of you need to have your gossip meter checked because your gossip meter is just out of whack. And anytime somebody brings something to you that sounds like a little juicy morsel or a prayer request, we do that a lot in church, right? I want you to pray about something, don't tell anybody, and then we just spill the ugly beans that know probably they don't need to know the details there about that. And it's really just a gossip, right? We need to have our... Uh, uh, Measurement higher for when we receive words, right? So that the, the person who's hateful can't trap us with flattery. I don't want to just believe stuff that people are saying about me and suck it in like I'm the believe your own news clippings is what I call it, right? That you have a press report, press release, and people start reading it back to you and you're like, I really am that good, <laughs> you know? So we don't want the hateful person to fill us up with flattery that they can go behind us and attack us with and be built up. That's a way of pride that pride can get us. And we don't want their hatred to ruin us. All of that comes with our own pride, right? I got to believe what you say about me when you flatter me, and then it crushes me when you turn on me. It's all about our pride being built up. We have to know who we really are, that we're covered by grace, and that their words can't ruin us, and their words can't make us. We have to be comfortable with that. 
So we've got to know when people are speaking to us and evaluate their words the right way. Look at verse 19. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You see that idea being repeated in these scriptures over and over and over again about too many words, speaking less, using discernment, holding your tongue, all that kind of stuff. So let me ask, how many times this week, how many times this weekend, maybe if you can't remember back to Monday, okay, but how many times in the recent history did you say something and almost immediately, if not later, wish that you could take it all back? Has anybody else, besides me, has anybody else done that this week where you just said something like, oh, how can I take that back? You know, can I shove that back in? How many times just this last week, maybe this weekend, foolish pride led you to hurt somebody's feelings or to cross the line from honest critique to defensive cruelty? Why do we do that? Have you ever thought of I do. Why do I do that? Why do those things come out of me like that, man? And I think it's pretty simple on the one hand, complicated on the other side. It's simple in that our hearts have sin in them and we're trying to unlearn sinful ways. I, I, I don't know another way to say it. I've been doing a certain kind of life in my sinfulness for a long time, right? In my selfishness for a long time, and I have to unlearn that. There's a lot of habitual ways of self-defense. There's a lot of habitual ways of puffing myself up so people think I'm important. Then I need to unlearn that I've got to get out of my life. So part of it is that I'm a sinful person. I have to unlearn some sinful ways and Sin is not passive. Sin is always looking for a way, some outlet to show itself in my life. And my mouth is one of the easiest portals for sin to get out to the world. It's one of the easiest places for sin to get itself out of my heart into the world around me. I want you to think about the evil that comes out of our, our mouths. And it's evil. This is something else. We give ourselves a lot of hall passes with our words, right? I was just joking. Really, were you? It was just a little lie. Really, was it? It was just one lie. Was it really? Think about the evil that comes out of our mouths. Lies, truth with an intention to hurt, inappropriate tone of voice, inappropriate timing, violent words, ugly words. So the wise person learns to speak less. The wise person gives thought and pause before he speaks. It's better to regret not knowing what to say than to regret what you said. It's not so much that some of us are like, man, Joe, well, I, I think fast and I speak fast. Right? I process things really quickly and I've got an opinion and I'm ready to give it. What do I do with that? Here's what I would say. I think some of us have we have to recognize that, yes, I think God has made some of us a particular way, and we don't need three days to process an opinion. We're ready to roll, okay? But that can all be done in a very hurtful, ugly way. So I would say this, for those of us who have that issue, it's ugly when you do it in the flesh. When your words come out of your mouth, and man, it may be smart, and it may be knowledgeable, and it may be right, but when you do that in the flesh, you're just going to shred people. You're going to tear them down. It will not have the, the, at the end of that conversation, you'll be right and everybody around you will be a little whimpering puddle around you. You'll win, but you'll lose everything. 
when it comes out in the flesh. Second thing, when we do it without thinking or submitting our words to Jesus' wisdom or scripture. Some of you are smart, some of you are educated, some of you might even be wise, some of you are quick thinkers, and you're very verbal. When was the last time, for those of you who are like that, that you said, God, are, are my words submitted to you? Are my thought processes submitted to you? When I speak, is it your wisdom or just my knowledge and experience and my opinion? Think and submit your words to the Lord. It's hurtful and harmful when we keep it real, and that's really just an excuse to vent our feelings and our emotions and our frustrations without a filter. I don't, I don't really know, guys, if there's a place in this flesh and in this body where I get to do a lot without a filter because flesh tends to come out when I do things without a filter. I need consistently to take the filter of Scripture and the Holy Spirit and lay it across my mind and my heart and say, God, don't let anything come out of me that doesn't pass through that filter, amen? So here's some mouth filters. Those of us who are quick speakers, I want you to write these down. Now, generally, we're too prideful to write these down, so maybe you can take a picture. Just discreetly take a picture of the screen. Most of us who have this problem, we don't want to be told what to do. Mouth filters, ready? Stop, drop, and wait. Now, here's what I mean by that. Stop talking. Stop talking. Stop talking. Nobody cares that you're right. Can we get over ourselves a little bit? Like, literally, nobody cares. Nobody cares that you are correct. Stop talking. Go to your knees, and if you can't physically go to your knees, in your mind, in your heart, say, God, I want to say this so bad right now. Oh, my gosh. They are so wrong. In the righteous anger of Jesus, I want to say this right now. Oh, Lord, give me mercy and grace. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Because this is how we justify what we say sometimes. Quick speakers. Stop, drop to your knees if you can, and just wait. Maybe the Holy Spirit says, that's not your job to say that. That's my job to say that. I don't need your help. Thank you. Are you ready for that? You're not always God's mouthpiece, okay? Second thing, is it wise and true? Not just factually correct, not just informed. Is it wise and true? Is there something with some sort of eternal weight behind this that's really good, right? Next thing, is it gracious and kind? This is the one we don't want to talk about. Is it gracious and kind? You will always have fools in your life. You will always have people who know less than you in your life. You'll always have people who know more than you, and you're never going to impress them. Quit asking those questions when you speak. Is this gracious? Is this kind? Some of us who are quick speakers, that's the, that's the only question we need to ask. Is it gracious and kind? And lastly, what kind of fruit will this bear? If I give this to this person, if I feel in my spirit that this is the right thing to say, if I've submitted my words to, this, to the Lord, is, what kind of fruit is this going to bring into their lives? Now, sometimes there's some pain, and I'm not going to go away from this. We'll talk about there's some cutting, that pruning that needs to happen so that fruit can be born, and I understand that. But you need to ask in the long term, five years from now, are they still going to be a scorched tree, but they're going to go, wow, you were right. Thanks for burning me to the ground. Are they going to be a flowering, producing, wonderful, beautiful plant tree in the kingdom, you know, garden of God? And they're going to look at you and go, man, thanks for cutting that off. Thanks for showing me that I needed to prune that back. I really needed to hear that. 
What kind of fruit will this produce in that person if I say that? Verses 30 and 31. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. So there's a bit of a, here at the end of this proverb, I guess there's a bit of a promise um, for the people who will submit their words to God. What generally happens, what usually happens to the one, the wise person whose heart is reined in by Christ and reigns in his words? What happens to that person? Well, they're unshaken. That's what it says. It says that they will not be shaken. Has anybody ever been in an earthquake? Just curiously. I have not, okay? California dwellers, most of you probably, yeah, right? So, I've never been in an earthquake. I think it would be horrifying. I don't care if it's a 2.1 or a 10.0. Like, I think it would be horrifying to be in some kind of an earthquake. Like, I can't imagine it. From July 15th through July 17th in Southern California, there were eight earthquakes. Not one. There were eight of them from 3.3 magnitude to 4.8 magnitude. That is terrifying. In an earthquake, I'm going to get into it, but you have the plates moving under the ground. The top of the ground rolls. This is what we're experiencing. This, the ground rolls. That's horrifying, right? There's nothing more stable in my brain than the ground, right? And in an earthquake, it is rolling. This scripture says that those who stand before God and are viewed as righteous in his sight will not be shaken. So what does it mean? I want to be that guy. I want to be that man. I want to be the righteous one who stands in the presence of God and is not shaken. So what does that mean? How do I stand in God's sight and be righteous? Well, there's no man who can ever stand before God and be righteous because they're good or good enough. It doesn't work that way. Nobody gets before God in their own righteousness. So how do we stand before God? Our righteousness comes when we trust in the sinless Jesus, what he did on the cross, coming back from the dead. We don't make ourselves righteous. God gives us righteousness. These are the ones who cannot be shaken. Here is the righteous. This person is righteous and they're standing before God and they're being made righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that, that if we trust in Christ, that we become the righteousness of God. So these people have been made righteous by God through Jesus Christ, and in the context of Proverbs chapter 10, they have righteous behavior. They have been made righteous, and that righteousness comes out of them. It bubbles out of them into their behavior and how they speak. They're able to apply in real world time, that new creation that God's making them to be, that inner new reality, that new nature that they have, they are able to take that and apply it in complicated circumstances. Life is complicated. It's hard. It's difficult to kind of navigate this road. And these righteous people have the wisdom of God in them, and they're able to navigate the complicated things. What does it mean? So what does it look like when you're unmoved like this? that you won't tremble when your world falls apart, when your world is hit by earthquakes, when your world is just facing destruction, how can you not be moved or shaken? Well, you have an inner confidence that God is good. And I think I put it in caps because I want to emphasize that. Are you convinced of that? 
Some of us are having a great time. Some of us, it's a bad day, it's a bad season, I get it, but some of us are here like, man, life's really good right now. Be convinced of God's goodness now because when life goes bad, it's gonna be hard to hold on to that. You gotta build into your life, God is good, God is good, God is really good, God's better good than I can ever imagine. All goodness is defined by the goodness in God. Amen? You gotta be utterly convinced of that because when life falls apart, it's gonna be hard to tell your heart that. You gotta have it before that earthquake comes. An immovable inner confidence that God is good. Secondly, an immovable assurance that right is right unto itself. That good is good. My good behavior is good because it's good. That when I choose right, it's good because it's right. No matter what anybody says about it, no matter what culture says about that, no matter what my friends or my family tells me about that, doing right is right. And unto itself, it is a good thing. As I do what is right in life, even when my world is shaking and falling apart, right? I am in some way echoing and showing the world around me God's goodness when I choose right for itself. That person is righteous. They are immovable and assured that doing right is right unto itself. Third, a peaceful, joyous disposition that tragedy and loss cannot remove. And I, I put joyous in there on purpose because I think sometimes we leave that out as sovereignists. A peaceful, joyous disposition that tragedy and loss cannot remove. They will strengthen it. You will go through seasons, maybe long seasons, maybe an entire portion of your life that has a deep sadness underneath it. Either Jesus doesn't do what he says or he does. So when he said, I give you a peace that passes all understanding, and when I give it to you, I give it not like the world gives, but as God the Father gives. Either that's true or it's not, even in my season of absolute darkness and loss. The joy of the Lord is my strength all the time or none of the time. Does that make sense to you guys? Like those are principles that have to maintain themselves all the time. The unshakable person is the person who has a joyous determination and peaceful disposition that tragedy and loss cannot remove. Matter of fact, what you'll find is they will strengthen it. Th that sense of joy that can be underneath everything can actually be strengthened when you go through, come out on the backside of some tragedy and loss. It's different than what you think it is today, but it's there. Next thing, a calm resolve. What does the righteous person look like? The unshakable person look like? A calm resolve to take another breath, to take another step, to take another bite of today's manna from heaven because God's purposes cannot be defeated and he has plans even in this. That person will not be shaken. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow or even this afternoon, but right now I'm going to get up and I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to ask God to give me the manna that I need, the bread that I need to just get through the morning and I'm going to do it. That person will not be shaken. Now, you can worry and speculate and think about bills and how am I going to pay for that and what's going to happen if they choose that or da 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 or they don't change or whatever. You'll be shaken. The more you speculate about the future, the softer that ground underneath you becomes. It's a calm resolve to get up and take another. And it's all rooted in, all of this is rooted in God's goodness is where we started and that he has a plan that includes even this. Next thing, it's all, it all goes back into Jesus. 
We sang about it. He's our cornerstone. He is our cleft, our hiding place in the rock. It says in the New Testament and the Old Testament that Jesus is God's stone set in Zion, a stone cut out by God himself, a rock from which the waters of life flow. He is the living stone with life inside of him. All of this is rooted in the person of Jesus. This isn't conceptual, theological, scriptural. It is personal. If you have this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it is all founded, rooted in him. He cannot fail. That person is unshakable and immovable, even if the ground underneath him rolls. So, that's what the wise, righteous person looks like. He is unshakable. So some of us are thinking, we're going to wrap up. They're like, man, Sanders, this is not that big a deal, dude. You're making a huge mountain out of a small molehill. Words are not that big of a deal. And quite frankly, you don't get to tell me what to say. <laughs> right? <laughs> I get to choose what I say. My words are mine. Thank you for the input. I will continue to do what I want. Words are my problem, and I have an issue with my words, but words aren't my big problem. I have other problems. Those are the th if those things were fixed, my words would be fixed. People and circumstances are my problem, not my words. Paul Tripp said this. He said, people are not your problem. Situations are not your problem. Circumstances are not your problem. Your location is not your problem. Your problem is in your heart. It's only when you and I stand before our Redeemer and we humbly, willingly say to him, regardless of the flawed people that you live with and the fallen world that is your address, that you are your greatest communicate, you are your greatest communication problem. Personalize it. I am my greatest communication problem. Me. That you are heading in a direction of fundamental biblical change in your world of talk. It's only when you can stand before God and say, God, I've got a problem. My mouth is sort of out of control. My words aren't submitted to you. I know these people are always going to be fallen and flawed. They're not my problem. I'm my problem. And I want to submit my words to you. That person is on the road to biblical change, to powerful transition inside. Words are so important. What comes out of our mouth is so important. And you know what I would say? I'm not going to get into this theologically. I think words are intrinsic to our humanity. They're one of the things that make us, I think, in the image of God, to be honest our ability to communicate the way that we do. Words are so important to us. So man, continue to ask yourself this question, where are my words coming from? When I speak, when those things come out of my mouth, where did that come from? Are you wasting your words? What's governing your words? Unfortunately, I could share six of these stories with you. I'm going to give you one of these stories from me. Back before the kids were born and Matter of fact, I want to say this was before we were married. I was in Tucson, Arizona. I was working there at a church. And it was really, it was my first full-time, well, part-time ministry ex experience as a guy that was trying to finish up Bible college and go into ministry full-time. We weren't, we weren't married. It was real early. Um, I was with a family from our church. Um, and we were going to some little cruddy circus or fair or something. I don't know what the deal was. We were going to like something like that. We we're going to meet some of our other students from our student ministry. Um, and I'm riding with this family to this event. I might be 19, maybe 20. And, and 
It's bad now. I'm 49. But man, at 19, oh, man, I was sarcastic. I was ugly sarcastic, biting sarcastic. Everything was something to be made fun of. Like if you were wrong, the best way to convince you you were wrong was to mock you mercilessly. I'm just telling you, man, hilarious up here. You know what I mean? And with the right person who fed that, we thought it was awesome. Terrible for everybody else. But man, you know, and there were times, and if you knew me, it would be, we would have fun, but it was harsh, and I was really good at it. Most of that humor and fun kind of trickles into your student ministry. We loved hard, but we teased hard too. And it crossed some lines from somewhere, and there was a lot of people it wasn't very fun for. It wasn't very encouraging. So we're in the car, and one of these girls, who's probably only like two years younger than me at the time, right? I'm her student pastor. I'm like 19. And she says to me while we're in the car with her family and her two other sisters, she says, hey, Joe, you know, sometimes it's hard to be in this youth ministry. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Go time, right? And I'm, I'm getting all my arguments ready in my head, right? Well, yeah, that counselor, those people, they're crazy people, aren't they? I have a hard time with them. And man, those other kids, I wish they would just take a shower every now and then, right? Or that's, that conference we went to last week wasn't very good. Or the curriculum we're using is pretty bad right now. Or the other staff guy who works. And I said, okay, right, in my head, I'm getting ready. And I'm like, what's up, man? And this was the answer. And they said, your humor is so hard to hear. It's harsh and not very uplifting. I have a hard time connecting, and the group sometimes feeds on it, and it can be harsh true, harsh too. And I am trapped in a car with these people for 20 more minutes. <laughs> and the other students are there, and the parents are there, and they served in my student ministry sometimes. And I'm a quick thinker, and I'm ready, and I think I'm ready to give my response. And this little 17-year-old girl She's not done. <laughs> she goes, I love you, Joe. But seems like it'd be better if your words were just seasoned with some grace. Well, I'm stripped bare. I got nothing left to give. I have no defense. And that was it. I'm 19. I'm not taking this very well. I'm mad. <laughs> this kid just called me out in front of other people. People who serve my student ministry, other kids. I'm ticked off. My ego is wounded, and man, I'm covering it up with excuses and humor, and it just sort of dies out because it was uncomfortable in the car. But as I process this, and I want to tell you that whatever circus we went to was awful. It might have been amazing, but I thought it was terrible the whole time because I'm still working through this. And I've thought about it over the years since, and I've been corrected since then multiple times. Even then, I can remember kind of moving into some humility. And I look back at this, and I look at other loving corrections and hurt feelings and tough relationships. And I'm so grateful and overwhelmed that our loving Father reached down to touch my heart and my lips and give me some wisdom through a 17-year-old girl. Man, what kind of love is that? What kind of love doesn't just die on a cross for me, but he reaches down into my heart and he touches my lips and says, man, change that. That Jesus purges my soul and my lips and he gives me grace when I'm cutting and I'm sarcastic and I'm right without mercy. 
in the backseat of a car in the hot desert? What kind of love reaches down to rescue a young man one more time? That's gospel good news, guys. That's the good news of the gospel. I get to go to heaven when I die, and I get to be with Jesus for eternity and sing to his face how wonderful he is. But man, he reaches down and he touches me in these places where I wish he'd leave me alone. And he gives me grace when I deserve everything but that. That's gospel grace, amen? What kingdom are your words serving? This is what we're left with today. Two kingdoms. Which kingdom are your words serving? How can you intentionally use your words for Jesus? What's in your heart that needs to change so that your words honor the Lord and produce good results in your world and in other people's world? We don't want to just avoid ugly speech. Some of us need to start there. Our, our speech is ugly and it's violent and it's not God-honoring. And some of us need to kind of stop there, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about a new natural, a new new for you, where you are purposefully giving grace to other people through your words. We are giving wisdom and life to other people through your words. We you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to just confess a few things to the Lord today. Some of us need to start literally with confession. And, and I'm going to ask you to interactively be with me here. But you, if you would say, I need to tell the Lord that this week I didn't honor him with my mouth very well. My, my words are not submitted to him. And I need my words to be submitted to grace. And I need to maybe confess to him and to somebody else that I've been ugly to them this week. This isn't hypothetical, guys and girls. This is very practical. So if you would say, man, Joe, I need to apologize to God, and I think there might be somebody else I need to apologize to, would you just put your hand up? Let's just give it to the Lord. Put your hand up. This is bravery, but it's also grace. We stand before a throne of mercy, a throne of grace. God sees your hand, and he says, I know. Let me change you. Let me touch your mouth. Would you just let him do that? Let me touch your mouth. Let me change your words. God, we raise our hands, trusting that your grace is going to cover this trusting that your power can change even this. God, give us the courage to talk to who we need to and tell them, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said it a different way or a different time. God, we confess the sins of our mouths. God, rescue me today. Change my heart. It's not just my words. God, my heart needs to be changed. I want to be wise and life-giving. God, I want to be full of joy. God, use me to give hope and life to other people. How many of you would say something like that? Man, you're going into a, a workplace this week or your home. You're going to go back to school here pretty soon. You say, man, God, just fill me with joy. Use me to give life to other people. Let my words be a fountain of living waters. That's what it says, right? That would be your request, your desire. Put your hand up this morning and say, God, change my heart so that I can be a blessing to other people. So my words can be used to give life to other people. Grace in the gospel. Make my words a fountain of life. Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for the gospel that changes us, even in the places we wish it wouldn't. Get into us, get into our hearts, dig deep. And when we sit at your table, I pray that we eat everything that's there, including these difficult things about our words. Thank you for your grace, for changing us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for...
being here and patiently putting up with me today. Jared's going to come right now.